over the last few weeks, we've been talking about the fact that when we go through those dangers and toils and snares and those difficulties in life, that when we trust in the Lord, we can have faith that His grace will lead us home. And we've talked about what happens when life blows up on you. What happens when you're moving along, plodding along, going along, doing what you're supposed to be doing, doing the work you've been called to do, and just all of a sudden, life explodes unexpectedly in a way that you haven't been foreseeing. It just explodes. And suddenly, your nice, clean existence has become very, very messy, very complicated, very difficult. And over the last few weeks, we've looked at different places in Scripture about what happens when our life does that. Now, we call the series Fail When Life Blows Up. And the first week we talked about what it means to fail in life or what that word has come to mean. And we showed those videos. Those of you who were here, remember the America's Funniest Home Videos kind of things where people just had all kinds of stuff going on. Well, this week, I was sent a link to a video. and It encapsulates what happens in your life when you're just trying to do what you're supposed to do and things go terribly wrong. So I want to show you that video real quickly and just uh, talk about it afterwards. Think long and hard. Do what you got to do to make it go right into that guy. Don't give up on me now, please. Just focus. I'm not giving up. I'm just getting frustrated. You got this, sister. You were super, super close. Right in the kisser. Show that knife who's boss. seen the amazing race you see that that's the promo for the next season coming up and uh, two things came into my mind first of all is man that had to hurt anybody ever felt a watermelon before huh they're not soft uh and to see that happen and the second thing was man that is an encouraging friend isn't it you're laying on the ground your face you cannot feel you have the worst headache of your life, and you say, what do we do now? And she says, we got to finish. Get up. Let's go. And so I was thinking about this week. What happens when your life kind of blows up on you? Now, some things are momentary. I mean, some things are just, you know, at a moment that happens, kind of like we just saw, and it's just a momentary thing. And then you have to pick up the pieces, and you have to move on. But sometimes in life, the moments that blow up have a long-term effect. And they are with us for more than just a couple of minutes. They are with us for a lengthy period of time. And I got to thinking this week, well, well, what happens when there's no end in sight? When you can't see how it's going to finish? When you can't think about how it will end? And this may be something you deal with for the rest of your life or for years to come. 
when I was 12 years old, 1988, I was diagnosed with type 1 diabetes. I was a typical 12-year-old. I played sports. I had fun. I, you know, was uh, looking forward to the next school year. And that summer, my, my grandmother discovered she had diabetes, just testing everybody in the family. And normal is below 120. Uh, and mine was 400. And so I thought, well, it's just a mistake. So I checked it several other times, went to the doctor. Next thing I know, I'm giving myself shots in the hospital. And we had that realization, even as a 12-year-old, I had that realization that this was not something that was going away next week. It's still here. It's still a part of my life. And the truth is, I either take care of myself when it comes to diabetes or my diabetes takes care of me. It's just that simple. Now, I live with it constantly. I, you know, I have to think about it. In our church, it's interesting. There are lots of people that are concerned about what I eat. And, you know, tonight at the church picnic when I get a plate of desserts, I'll have several members explain to me how that's not good for me. I've learned to manage it, but I have to manage it. And I remember... Uh, I, I, you know, there are moments in your life, why do you remember certain moments? I don't know why. I remember uh, the summer before my senior year, I was uh, training for football, and we were out running a mile. And so we were on that track, and um, I have never, you know, they, I've told you this before. People have, they call talk about this runner's high. I've never had the runner's high. I've had the, how in the world do I get through the next quarter mile? That's what I've had, all right? I just don't, that's not something that that I enjoy. And so, when I was out on that track, for some reason I started running, and I remember for half a mile, and I can take you to Dyersburg High School, show you the track, show you the rain lane I was running in, praying over and over again that God would take away my diabetes. Just take it away. God, I don't want to deal with it anymore. And I still wear a pump, and it's still here. And the truth is, you know, they may find a cure tomorrow, or there's a good chance that they won't in my lifetime. And I deal with that on a daily basis. Now, it's not something that bothers me necessarily every day, but I deal with it every day. And so how do you deal with, and all the complications and all that they talk about, how do you deal with a long-term difficulty? Now, for some of you, you think, I don't have any idea that any of that's ever come in my way. Well, the truth is, if you live long enough, it will. And so how do you deal with it? Well, this week... I was thinking about our definitions of what failing is in our lives or what life blowing up is. We have had a couple. One is from Gordon McDonald that says, Those unanticipated events, most of which one would usually have chosen to have avoided in the first place. I thought about that. I thought about uh, James McDonald's that we've talked about. It's a painful circumstance allowed by God to change my conduct and my character. And as I began to think about the fact that we were going to talk today about long-term issues, long-term difficulties. I, I realized that what we've talked about in the four weeks prior to this, if we follow those principles and directions, they are the same things that help us get through a short-term problem, help us get through a long-term. It's not that different. And so today what I want to do is two things. I want you to turn in your Bibles to 2 Corinthians chapter 12. We're going to talk about Paul for a little bit. But two things I want to do today is one is to walk through how Paul dealt with a long-term issue in his own life. And the second thing is I want this to serve as a review of the lessons we have learned. Because if I were to put the five lessons we've learned from this series, they work into this sermon as five lessons Paul teaches us here. 
And so what I want to do is to see this one incident and then use it as a summary for the whole incident. So when you get to 2 Corinthians chapter 12, we're going to look at it in just a minute. And part of the reason I want to do this today is this, that you may not be dealing with much at all right now. You may not be going through much at all, or you may be in the midst of something. But I can almost guarantee you that this is a series of messages, and these are principles that if you hear them today, if you went back and listened to them three months from now, there would be something different about the way you heard it because of the way your life situation had changed. If you would have heard it six months ago, it would be different. And there may come a time in your life when you need to hear again the words that Scripture teaches and these messages over the last few weeks. I want you to jot these principles down, write them somewhere, and then make a mental note. Because if that time comes and you say, man, I just need to hear, I wish I could hear them again, they're on our website. Every sermon we ever preach here is on our website. You can find it real easily. And I encourage you sometime maybe to go back and listen, sometime to go back and, and just think through these passages. Because who knows when crazy thoughts are going to steal your sleep in the middle of the night. You're going to wake up not knowing what to do. Or unexpected storm comes into your life and it threatens your house or your future or your home or your loved ones. Or what you thought was safe is hijacked by someone else's sin. Or God enrolls you in a master's level course on character development. And you need to be ready. Second Corinthians Chapter seven, starting in verse I mean chapter twelve, starting in verse seven. It says this to keep me from becoming conceited because of these surpassingly great revelations. Let me just stop right there for a minute. Paul here is speaking. Uh, if you look at the passage previous to this, Paul apparently says that at some point in his life, and he refers to it as some man, but it is evidently him from the way the rest of the chapter reads, at some point in his life, God took him in a special way, in a dream, or somehow into a heavenly realm and revealed to him a lots of stuff, including visions and dreams, and he got all of this information. And so Paul had this amazing experience, and he says, because of that, and to keep me from becoming conceited, uh, growing up in my house, that would have been also referred to as to keep me from getting the big head, to keep me from getting conceited, there was given me a thorn in my flesh. Now let's talk about that thorn for a minute, all right? When I say the word thorn, what do you think of? Ouch. What else? A rose. That's what I think of. I think of a thorn on a rose or a plant or something. Well, that's not really what the word means here. The word here literally kind of means a splinter. Now, how many of you have ever gotten a splinter before, right? Now, splinters are no fun. They get right underneath your skin. I remember growing up, my mom uh, my mom had a kind of, um, she liked taking splinters out too much, all right? She preferred the straight needle over an open flame method. You know what I'm talking about? You burn it over the open flame, and then you take it and you, and you dig it out. Well, as an eight-year-old, I had two major fears in my life. Needles and open flames. And so as I watched my mom prepare to remove splinters from my life, roasting a needle over an open flame scared me to death. You know the hardest part of her taking a splinter out was catching me, right? Because I didn't want to be a part of that. Well, why are splinters so aggravating? Well, literally it's because they are tiny little things that can cause major issues, right? 
They are small things. Most splinters are not very big. If they're very big, they are easier to get out. And they get too big, they're not called splinters anymore, right? You get splinters, they're these tiny things, but they can be such a nuisance. Especially if you get one of those under your skin that you can't figure out how it got there. And you've got to figure out, what do we get it out? They can be a nuisance. What is happening here, Paul is saying basically is he was giving a splinter in his flesh. Something that was small, something that may be insignificant to most people, but it just worried him to death. Now, what was his thorn? Well, here's what I can tell you. You could guess at what Paul's thorn was, and you'd about to have as good of a chance as anybody in the last 2,000 years at deciding what it is. There have been all kinds of people. Tertullian, a historian, said that it was headaches. Uh, Ramsey, another one, said it was epilepsy. Martin Luther said it was demonic oppression. Augustine said it was relational adversity in Corinth. Some said it was his bad eyesight. There's a place in the Bible where he says, See with how big letters I write. Uh, He said it was a character flaw, hysteria, gallstones, hypochondria, or some besetting sin. So the answer is, we don't have a clue as to what it is. But whatever it was, it bugged Paul. So he says, there was given me a thorn in the flesh, a messenger of Satan to torment me. Three times I pleaded with the Lord to take it away from me. Three times I pleaded with the Lord to take it away from me. But he said to me, my grace is sufficient for you, for my power is made perfect in weakness. Therefore, I will boast all the more gladly about my weakness so that Christ's power may rest on me. That is why, for Christ's sake, I delight in weakness, in insults, in hardships, in persecutions, in difficulties. For when I am weak, then I am strong. Five things I want us to see from this passage that serves as a summary for all that we've talked about, but is specific to this passage. And that is, whenever you're in a long-term situation or a short-term difficulty in life, whenever your life blows up, five things to do. First of all is remember God allowed it. Remember God allowed it. Verse 7 says, To keep me from being conceited, I was given a thorn in my flesh. Now, the word given there doesn't give origin of who gave it, but the understanding from Paul is definitely this. God knew about it, and God allowed it. One of the things that, that we have to be realize is that God knows all things. Sometimes we go to the Lord with our stuff, and we act like, God, let me just inform you about something that happened today. God already knows. And so when you have an issue in your life, God knows it's there. It knows it's part of it. People sometimes ask, well, does a guy cause that? I mean, Haiti's earthquake, did God cause that? Nashville floods, did God cause that? The Pakistani floods, did God cause that? And my answer generally is, I don't think God caused it, but there is no doubt that God allowed it. And there's difference there. Now, the the point of that is this, that God has created a great world. I mean, all that he created was good. You remember in Genesis 1, it says on the first day, he splits day and night. You know, he starts the creation process. And at the end of day one, he says, and it was good, right? And at the end of day two, he says, it was 
good. At the end of day three, it was good. And we go all the way down to day six. And on day six, he creates human beings. He breathes life into us. He does this amazing thing in creating Adam. And at the end of day six, at this amazing thing, he has completed it all. He has put the finishing touches on. He has made sure everything looks great. He gets it all done. And at the end of the day, he says not that it is good. He says it is very good. So God created this great place, this very good place. And it was beautiful, and it was right, and it was perfect. Well, what happened? We did. And the depth of our sin, I don't think we ever grasp the damage that has been done on this planet and on our lives because of the sin that we have committed. Scripture teaches that when Adam and Eve made what seemed like a small choice to eat a piece of fruit, then in actuality it was open defiance of God and sin rushed into this world and has been tormenting this earth ever since. Now all that to say this, the effects of sin visit randomly on this planet. Scripture says that both the righteous and the unrighteous have rain that falls. The idea there is difficulty comes to the righteous and the unrighteous. In fact, sometimes, and Scripture speaks of this over and over, it seems that the righteous get a raw deal when compared to the unrighteous. So it falls on all. But we also have to realize that in the midst of that, God could prevent any of it. God could prevent any of it. But He doesn't. Not always. Here's one thing I was thinking about the other day. Sometimes we say things like, well, why does God not prevent it? Or why didn't God prevent it? Or why does God not do something about it? And I thought to myself, you know He has. He has prevented things from our lives. He has slowed things from our lives. He has stopped things from our lives. The problem with that is we don't know it. Why? Because He prevented it, right? There are times when we know And I was driving down the street the other day. Uh, going from my house, bringing Luke to Mother's Day out here. I was going down Loretta, and Loretta is usually the calmest drive you can imagine. And I was going down Loretta, and there's a street that comes into Loretta named Emily. I live back there where all the girls' names are, you know. You know, Emily and Loretta and Rose Garden. No, that doesn't fit. Um, But all these, you know, Yvonne, there are all these girls. But they're coming down Emily, and I saw this truck. I'm, I'm going down here. I saw this truck just flying. They got a stop sign. And I'm at the point where if he doesn't stop, there's nothing I can do. It's just that collision course. And he goes right through the stop sign, slams on the brakes. I can hear it. And he comes. I swerve a little bit. Too far, you're in the ditch. And he stops right there before he hits me. Now, where he stopped was at the door where Luke was sitting. Now, that's one of those occasions where I realized, okay, there may have been some intervention there. Everybody on the other side, not knowing what was going on, had already kind of stopped so we could swerve around. But how many times in my life did God prevent it? I mean, there are times that he does, but there are many times when he allows things as well. And the first step to walking through any difficulty is to realize it hasn't caught God by surprise. He allowed it to happen. Paul says, I was given this. I realized that he gave it to me, and we'll talk in a minute why he gave it to me, but he says here that ultimately it's for character development. Here's the second thing we need to understand. 
Remember, God has allowed it. Secondly, don't allow trials to knock you off track. Look what it says. There was given to me a thorn in my flesh, a messenger of Satan to torment me. You see there, who is the messenger of that has come to torment him? Satan, right? Now, here's a little interesting thing from Bible study, from the, the Greek language. You may know what the Greek word for messenger is. I know that's you know right on the tip of your tongue, but anybody know what it is? Angel. What this actually says is an angel of Satan, a messenger of Satan has come. Now, here's the point. Whenever difficulty comes in our lives, whenever problems, short-term, long-term, come into our lives, God intends for it to be a learning experience for us to walk with Him through the experience, to go with Him through the experience, and to learn and have our character developed. Satan sees it as an opportunity to get us off track from what God intends for us to do. What Paul is saying is, I had this thorn in my flesh, and this messenger of Satan has hounded me over it. He's talking to me about it. He's trying to get me off track. You remember uh, Peter? Before he was Peter, he was Simon. And in the New Testament, there's that place where Jesus looks at him and says, Hey, Simon, I just want to tell you something, just exciting news here. Satan has asked to sift you like wheat. In our one-year Bible, we just got through reading the book of Job. And at the very beginning of the book of Job, God and Satan are having a conversation. And God, like most dads would do, starts popping off about how much he loves his son, Job. Man, have you seen Job? Satan, have you seen Job? He is unbelievable. And Satan says, well, let me at him. God says, all right, you, ain't nothing going to happen. You can go at him, but don't take his family. Well, then Satan comes back and goes, well, he ain't going to do nothing because I didn't get to him. Or his personal, but well, you can just can't kill him. And so Satan asked to be to sift him like wheat. When you get in the New Testament, the book of Matthew, in Matthew 9:33, it says a man was mute by Satan. 12:22, a man was blind and mute. Uh, in 17:15, it says that he had seizures because he'd been given by Satan. I came across this quote today, and uh, it actually was in my Bible, and I don't I don't know where when it was in my Bible from. I don't know why it was in there. It was just at the front. But as a guy named A.W. Tozer, you've heard me use him before. He's one of my favorite authors and pastors of the 20th century. He says, it becomes the devil's business to keep the Christian spirit imprisoned. He knows that the believing and justified Christian has been raised up out of the grave of his sins and trespasses. From that point on, Satan works that much harder to keep us bound and gagged, actually imprisoned in our own grave clothes. He knows that if we continue in this bondage, we are not much better off than when we were spiritually dead. And so Satan tries to use every difficult circumstance to get us off track. What Paul says here, it was a messenger of Satan to torment me. The actual word there is to buffet me, or it's a boxing term, to, to hit me. To, to, you know, a boxing definition would kind of be to put body blows on me, to give me bumps and bruises, to knock me around. Now, nothing that is long-term effects, but just something that makes me pause, something that makes me hurt, something that makes me think twice about what I'm doing and encourages me to give up. I watched a football game last night. There was a game on between some guys in orange and some ducks from the northwest, Right? And I, I had it TiVo'd and was going to wait and watch it and see how it played out. As Vols, we understand it may be a real rough year and still support our team. But, man, they came out, played the best half of football we have played in years. Man, they look good. 
Now, right before halftime, we gave up a couple of things, and so we go into the half 13 to 13. And I had determined, I had to look over some sermon stuff, and I said, you know, I can't watch the second half, but I just couldn't stop myself. I had to, you know, I was getting late. We had that delay, you know, that the weather delay, you know. Somebody wrote on TV, even God was surprised that Tennessee scored 13 points that quickly. And so it was a joke. They uh, had all this going on, and so I said, well, I'll just watch the first few minutes of the second half, see how the game's going to go. Well, not long into the first half, into the second half, they hand the ball off to running back for Oregon, and he goes. One of our guys breaks through the line. Man, he's going to be tackled for a one-yard, oh, 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 65-yard touchdown run. Next series down the field, we're driving. Everything's going to be great. We're going down. Our quarterback decides that he's got the greatest arm in the history of the world and can throw a ball all the way across the field on his back foot while falling down. They intercept it, run it back for a touchdown. We've gone from winning the game in about three minutes to we're down by two touchdowns. Now, that's when I decided to turn the game off. Now, here's why I turned it off. It wasn't because they had scored. But when our team went back on the field, even though they had helmets on, you could tell in their body language and when they had close-up of the faces, they were done. They'd given up, and it was over. So, I would like to tell your pastor that I gently took the remote control, I pressed the off switch and laid it next to me, and thought, well, that's just a game. We'll move on to the next thing. Instead, I slammed the off button. I threw the remote down and said, now i got to do this sermon stuff, all right? And it was at that moment that God just kind of reminded me of this passage. And I thought to myself, how many times have I allowed small things in my life to get me off track? And to have that same expression that those guys had in a football game. It says here that Paul said that it was a messenger of Satan sent to torment me, to get me off track. Whenever you're in the midst of a trial, short-term or long-term, you've got two choices. You can continue to follow God down the path he has laid out for you, or you begin to go in a different direction and you get off track from what he intends. Third thing, in the midst of those difficulties, you've got to remember God's promise of presence. Look what it says. It says in verse 8, Three times I pleaded with the Lord to take it away. And God said to me, Listen, am I not enough for you? Is what I have done for you already not enough for you to keep going? Do you need something else besides my presence or the way that it is written here? My grace is sufficient for you. My power is made perfect in weakness. What God says to Paul basically is this. And I don't think Paul necessarily is being seen as a complainer here, but he's saying, you're talking about a minor issue that is causing you issues. Listen, you have the promise of the presence of Almighty God in your life. What else do you need? What else do you need in the midst of difficulty than knowing the one who spoke and the world came into existence, is with you at that moment. If you are a believer in Jesus Christ, who has accepted his gift of forgiveness and has been saved by what he did on the cross and his resurrection, then you have the presence of God in your life on a daily basis. The most frequent promise in Scripture is that God is with us. Joshua's getting ready to go in the promised land. He says, be strong and of good courage. Do not fear. Why? Because I am with you. I'm going with you. I will be with you just as I was with Moses. 
When you get to Psalm 23, Yea, though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil. Why? Because you are with me. When you get to the book of Matthew and Jesus gives out his great commandment, and he says, a great commission, he says, and be my witnesses in uh, all over the world. I want you to go into all the world, teaching them, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and of the Holy Spirit. And lo, I am with you always. What we have in Scripture is this promise again and again and again and again that the presence of of Almighty God is a part of our lives when we are believers in Jesus Christ. And because of that, we can make it through whatever comes our way. But it is so easy to forget that in the midst of it. And what he says to Paul when he says, my grace is sufficient. Well, that sounds like, well, my grace is enough. And that's what it means. But what he basically is saying is, you have everything you need in your life to get through what you're going through right now. Because you have me. You've got everything you need. You don't need more of this or more of that or less of this or less of that or a new this or a new that or a different this or a different that. You have me. Now, that doesn't mean that sometimes God won't direct us in paths that go in a different direction. But what it means is it will be paths where he is present. And so in the midst of difficulty in your life, whatever the difficulty might be, you must Cling to the promise of the presence of the Lord on a regular basis. Two more things real quickly. Trust God to work in the midst of difficulty. This actually goes back to the beginning of verse 7. But he says, Paul says that the whole reason that I have this thorn in the flesh is to keep me from being conceited. My granny Nell on my mom's side, my grandmother on my mom's side, we call her Granny Nell, was, was a great lady. Loved her to death. She and my gramps were formative in my spiritual formation. They were formative in my growing up years. I spent summers at their house while mom and dad worked. They would keep four, we had their four grandchildren. Uh, and I was, the young, I was the next to youngest. But we were all kind of squeezed together within about a five-year period. And so they, they kept us. And so we learned a lot from them. As often is the case in a marriage relationship, Gramps and Granny were a little different. Gramps was the real strong encourager. Every time I saw my Gramps, he hugged me. He told me how proud he was of me. Every time he saw me, he told me how proud he was he had a preacher for a grandson. When I would preach, it could be the worst sermon ever preached in the history of the world. And he would tell me everything he learned from it. He, would, he was just that kind of guy. Granny thought that it was her job to keep me from getting the big head. And so she would do that. Now, Granny was just one of those people that would say what she thought, when she thought it, whether or not it was appropriate. I remember one time at the dinner table, my dad was sitting there, and she looked at him. And my mom and dad had been married for 25 years at this time. She said, you know what, Jimmy, I really didn't like you when you got married to my daughter. And I'm not real sure how I feel about you right now. Just how she was. So I remember Granny one time, after I'd done, I, I, one of the things I did in college is I did a revival back in Dyersburg at the high school. They, uh, because I was a graduate, somehow they allowed us to get in the school. We did a citywide youth revival in the high school. We had several people saved. We had several people rededicate their lives. It was a great moment. And Gramps had come on the last night with Granny. And so I walked into their house the next morning. I was going back to school, back to Union. And Gramps, you know, gave me a big hug. And she said, I didn't know if you are going to fit through that door in there. I thought your head had gotten too big. 
He said, don't you ever forget that you're nothing without God. So that was her point. I mean, she wasn't just vindictive and mean, all right? Well, that was what was happening to Paul here. Now, think about Paul. I mean, I'm talking about, I got excited over a a revival at Dyersburg High School in Dyersburg, Tennessee. Paul was a guy that had planted churches all over the Mediterranean world. He was a guy who had seen churches grow from nothing. He saw converts all around. He's a guy that said, I don't even remember how many people I baptized. He was considered the apostle to the Gentiles. There were lots of apostles. He was considered the apostle to the Gentiles. God had appeared to him directly to save him. It was a direct connection where he said, why are you persecuting me? Paul had been taken into this heavenly realm. If there was anybody that could kind of get puffed up about the ministry that he was doing, it was Paul. And yet Paul says God allowed these difficulties in his life so that he might learn from them not to be conceited. He looked for the lesson in the difficulty. I was walking around the track today, going into some of the Sunday school classes, and one of, one of the classes gave me a note from Dr. Lawrence Burks. Now, uh, were any of you, were you here, how many of you were here when Dr. Burks was pastoring here? Dr. Burks was a pastor here many, many years ago. I've never met Dr. Burks. I don't know him, but Dr. Burks is in pretty bad health. And there was a Sunday school class that corresponds with him, and he wrote back, now, I don't know how old Dr. Burks is, um, He's older. He's an older man um, in his last years of life. And what amazed me about this letter, you can't hardly read it because he can't even write. And he tries to write it out. It's towards the bottom, he said, I think God is trying to teach me how to love and be compassionate towards people more in my illness right now. And I couldn't help but think, here's a guy who has spent his life in ministry. And yet right now he's still asking in the midst of this current medical issue where he had an infection on his spine that has damaged his spine, he's asking, what does God want me to learn? Trust God in the midst of it to work. Here's the last thing. Glorify God. Look what Paul says. Therefore, I will boast all the more gladly. Now, what does it mean to boast? It means to brag, right? He says, I'll brag in my weakness so that Christ's power can rest. For Christ's sake, I delight. Now look at what he delights in. Weaknesses, insults, hardships, persecutions, and difficulties. And what Paul says here is in the midst of whatever you're going on, there ought to be a way for you to sing praises to God, to give your life to Him, and to worship Him with all that you are. And so as you begin going through a long-term or a short-term thing, what you must remember is that God has allowed it, that Satan's going to try to get you off track, but that you can learn from the Lord in the midst of it if you will allow it because His presence is with you and He's developing your character towards something and in the midst of it give praise and honor and glory to God. The truth is, as we end this series The difficulties in life will not end. And there's some of you here that are going through difficult things, or you know people going through difficult things, but there's some of you that it won't, that that's not the case. You don't know there's nothing happening, but it's coming down the road. The real question is, when you are in your difficult situation, will you have enough faith and maturity in Christ to trust Him, or will you give up and give in? 
Because a sign of maturity is in difficulty giving praise unto God. 